Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. eBay gets it, so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, all you sucky daters out there. Jared and Dean here, and we have the pleasure of introducing a brand new uh, episode of What a Girl Wants This Week. I love how Jared uh, has become like a nighttime radio announcer. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of Tiger King. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. I've been listening to Delilah too much. I love it. I think it's fantastic. We do have a great What a Girl Wants episode for you this week. I love What a Girl Wants. Not only does it allow us to take an extra day off, which, let's be honest, I need as many days off as I can get, but it allows us to get to better know the people that are also in this franchise. And this week, we have a very special episode for you. It is Elise Delbaum. She was on Colton season. Uh, she, as Jared has so eloquently put it, was in the running for The Bachelorette. I still think she might be at some point later on. She's probably going to grace her screens again on Paradise at some point in her lifetime, hopefully. But she's fantastic. She has a great guest this week as well. Uh, this week on What a Girl Wants is Elise. Be sure to stay tuned. What a Girl Wants, a help I suck at dating spinoff and an iHeartRadio podcast. Thanks so much to Dean and Jared for having me. Again, I'm so excited to be taking over this episode of What a Girl Wants. And you may know me from The Bachelor as the self-proclaimed cougar. So today I want to talk about what it's really like dating in your 30s. There's certainly <laughs> some obstacles that come along with it. For instance, I honestly do not know how to approach some of the subjects that I would never have thought to even talk about when I was in my 20s, such as divorce, kids, all of these things that, quite frankly, I never would have even thought to bring up when I started dating someone um, in my younger years. So now I'm trying to navigate how to approach these subjects in a way that doesn't absolutely terrify men off. And today I'm so excited that we're going to have a guest on that might be able to help us. But um, specifically for me, I've noticed that when you're dating in your 30s, not only is there this societal standpoint of you should be married and you should already have kids, but for those of us that decided to focus on career or maybe we just haven't found that person yet. Um, when you're having initial date conversations, you have to get to those deal breaker points a lot quicker of do you want more kids if they already have them or do you want kids in general? Have you been divorced? What's the relationship like with your ex? All of these things are so <laughs> difficult to figure out how to properly navigate without, like I said, completely terrifying <laughs> the guy off as if you're just in a rush to walk down the aisle. Have you um, dated anyone with kids or that's been divorced? And what was that like, having those conversations with them? You know, I actually, most of my serious relationships have been with people that have children. 
And I think that gives me a little bit of perspective of being on the other side of it. They were um, significantly older than me, had gone through divorce, had kids. And it was, it was a bit of a struggle. I loved the children, absolutely loved them. But it's difficult to navigate those relationships when you know it's just not you and that person. You're also in a relationship with the ex because they are the, you know, the mom of the relationship and trying to figure out how you fall into line with that. Um, so I think that's been beneficial to me having those experiences in my 20s, but now doing it from a position of, hey, maybe I'm in a place where I'm thinking about having kids or, um, you know, like I said, the biological standpoint of, all right, we need to get to these conversations a little quicker because I don't want to invest the time and emotion into a relationship if I don't know that we are at least on the same page of what our future goals are regarding those topics. Yeah, like what are some of those, I guess, deal breakers um, that you've come to learn are deal breakers as you get older? Well, my list has certainly expanded since I've gotten older, um, having gone through some not so great relationships. But, you know, for me as someone who is, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure if I want children. I loved the experience of kind of being that um, stand-in mom, but because I'm unsure of it, I want to have someone that is open to the possibility that we can, if I found the right partner, we can have that dialogue of, okay, we're we're ready to expand on just us as a couple and maybe start a family. And I don't know if I would be willing to be in a relationship with someone that maybe is coming from a divorce where they've already gone through those life experiences of having children and feel like, okay, I've been there, done that. I'm happy to raise the children I have and don't want to bring anybody else into the mix. Um, Those are conversations that are really, really difficult and, and sensitive too, but also have to be, broached um kind of early on because again I don't want to invest the time or energy into someone that doesn't want the same things as me yeah I uh, a couple years ago I dated someone with um that was divorced and had a kid I'm 23 excuse me I'm 23 and I was like 21 and I look back now and I mean it was only two years ago but I was like what was I thinking and but something I, I thought was like very difficult was um, not thinking about like, wow, they've already had those first. Um, and like, I won't be the first for some of those things. Do you think that that's something difficult that you've had to like get, uh, I guess, get over or like move on from knowing that? And do you think that in future relationships, like a future relationship, you would want to have those first experiences with them? To me, And I completely agree with you because I was 23 when I dated um, the first guy that had children. And I have to say it was tough because I was so used to relationships where you are there, you know, maybe work or family come first, but otherwise you're their first priority. And when you're dating people that have children, you're not. And so that comes with a little bit of an ego struggle too, of navigating that, but also where you were talking about first that was a challenge because I was thinking, okay, this in that significant age gap, he might be kind of over and done with this experience and have already raised kids and changed diapers. And we won't potentially have that experience together, which was so important to me just for myself that, that maybe I wanted to have those first to have the, you know, morning where you're videotaping kids on, on Christmas morning, taking apart their gifts and, and trying to understand how I could get over not potentially having that experience, but fully immersing myself in the fact that he had wonderful children and being, trying to figure out my role (laughs) a little bit, figure out my role as I might not be used to this situation. I might have my own maybe ego or just nostalgia driven ideas of what I wanted for my future, but learning how to adapt it to the current situation or the current relationship I was in. And I think it is a struggle, but the biggest takeaway I have from someone who's done this a couple of (laughs) times is it is so, so incredibly fulfilling, whether the children are not biologically yours or not, 
to be able to take part and have the trust and respect from not only the person you're with, but their past partner to be allowed into those situations. And I'll tell you what, you go through, like I said, one Christmas of watching kids open presents in it definitely changes your perspective a little bit of, of feeling like this is family and family comes in all different shapes and sizes, but it's getting over what you had as this ideal for your own personal life. And especially when I was 23, I'm going to do this and this and this at this age and, and just realizing that life is, is crazy and takes you in ways that you didn't expect and just being open to the, it, your situation might look a little different but the feelings are still the same and there's still so much joy in those, those moments. I love that. Um, so you said that uh, it's been interesting to navigate the biological conversations while dating. Can you give us a little more detail on that, what that looks like and maybe some reactions you had? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's no secret, right? We've all heard that good old stereotype of like, oh, the clock is ticking, whether that's coming from um, just your own perception of what's going on in the world and, and society's ideals of where you should be at, and especially in your 30s. But also, I'll be honest, we have those family members that tell us too, like, okay, I want grandkids, what's happening? Like, at this point, you don't even have to get married, just give me a grandbaby. Um, it's, it's really tough trying to figure out what you want versus what you think is expected of you but then once you really narrow it down to like I said for me I'm not sure if having my own biological children is a huge priority in my life but I want someone to be open to it so trying to have those conversations right away in a relationship is so incredibly awkward and I still am trying to figure out how to have those conversations in a way that doesn't seem like, hey, excuse me, sir, you know, pounding on your wristwatch, clock is ticking. I know we've been here for 45 minutes, but do you want kids? Do you want to get married? Do you want children? What is your future goals and, and aspirations? I mean, that can come on a bit strong. <laughs> so just, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm on this podcast and I might not be the one to particularly talk about because I'm still trying to navigate how to have those conversations um, in a way that doesn't make someone go running for the hills. Yeah, well, luckily, we're going to have an expert on later, and maybe they can help with that. Um, so you were considered the cougar, but you said that you've been um, dating a lot older. So have you still been dating younger? What is that looking like? Are you, do you have a preference in, uh, in men and, like, age I was the self-proclaimed cougar. I knew it was going to be a joke going into Colton season that he was significantly younger and less experienced than I was in a lot of ways. So I figured if I made the joke first, nobody else could. But since the show, and I will give them credit, it kind of opened my eyes because like you said, I haven't dated anyone younger than me ever. And I think because I had gone through a lot um, in my early 20s, I felt like I connected to people that were um, a little older than I am. I have to say, since the show, I've had some flirtations with men that are younger than me, but I still think um, as much as I understand that every relationship looks different, for me, I hate to say it, but I think I'm still looking for someone my age or a little bit older. Um, maybe not the the great age gaps that I dated in my 20s, having a 13-year age gap. I mean, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I think now I'm just looking for someone that maybe isn't so much focused on age, but has similar experiences, whether it comes to dating or just life experiences, where we're on the same um, in the same place as far as what we're looking for and and our focus on that and priorities around it. At Walmart, there's a whole collection of black-led products that fit into your daily routine. We encourage you to show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month, but all year long. There is power in every purchase. Every time we purchase from a black-led brand, we make room for another black-led brand. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choices at Walmart. 
Some amazing Black-owned businesses that are available at Walmart include The Lip Bar, Zach and Zoe Honey, Partake Cookies. The list goes on and on. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing Black-owned products you can add to your daily routine. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes, and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. The Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Ashley adopted Lois, and I didn't know until I actually picked her up and saw her with my own eyes that we were taking this dog home. But I took one look at Lois, and my life has never been the same, and I love her so much, and I'm very grateful for that moment that Ashley decided to adopt Lois. So it really was love at first sight for me. Adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime of meaningful connections. A pedigree loyalty survey revealed that 95% of dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than expected. And another pedigree loyalty survey revealed 90% of first-time dog owners report that having a dog improved at least one relationship in their lives. We have adopted two dogs. First was Pappy and the second was Alistair. And I got to tell you, I didn't know I could love such a little creature so much with Pappy. He just stole our hearts right away. He was so attached to us. And even with Alistair, we got him and we fostered at first and then decided to adopt not long after that. Just a few days after. They bring so much light into our lives. After we lost Pappy, I was, Kaylin and I agreed to maybe take a couple months off from having a dog in our lives. And not even a week later, we we couldn't stand it anymore. There's just so much light that coming home to a dog brings into our lives. And and whenever we're on a trip, all we can ever think about is coming back home and seeing Alistair. So I I love adoption. I think adopting dogs is the way to go. They are so grateful for it. They definitely love you harder because they know what you took them from and and the great life that you're giving them. Real love can exist between pet and pet parent. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes, and we can attest that love at first sight is closer than you think. It's available at your local dog shelter. Find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive June 7th to 9th, and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Visit pedigree.com adoption drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On Help I Suck at Dating, we had you recently on with Dean and Jared, and you said that during quarantine, you dated someone, but ultimately you realized that if you weren't in quarantine, it probably wouldn't have happened. Um, and they, <laughs> after you got off, they were so curious and they were like, who is it? And they felt like uh, it was someone possibly from the franchise, was it? It was not someone from The Bachelor. Um, It was someone that maybe people would recognize. But here's my thoughts on on being public and social media and all that good stuff. I've already shared way more about my life on television than I ever anticipated. And while I think it's great to celebrate love and relationships, until I'm in a committed monogamous relationship with someone um, where I think, all right, we're in a good place. I have no desire to share that with the world because I'm sure anyone who follows anyone from this franchise, you see a lot of critiques and criticisms. And when you start sharing your relationship, you're also opening it up to those same critiques. And I think you need to be in a really strong place in your relationship, at least for me personally, before I would ever share that. But no, he was not from The Bachelor. Um, but I just made a decision that until I'm in a committed relationship, I'm not going to divulge their privacy and open them up to those same criticisms that we receive. Relationships are hard enough without social media's uh, 
opinion on on your partner. Right, absolutely. Is there, if there's like one thing that you took away from your season on The Bachelor, like what would you say that that was? It was probably something I didn't anticipate taking away. I kind of went into it thinking like, this is the world's craziest blind date. (laughs) And what I took from it is we all want love, right? And how much of my time have I really focused to the pursuit of that? I was in, like I said, pretty serious relationships in my early 20s, but then right before my 30th birthday, went through a breakup and decided, okay, I've given my time, my money, my attention, my everything to these relationships, and now I want to focus on me and be quote-unquote selfish. And it was kind of alarming to me when I was on The Bachelor of how little time I was actually prioritizing for what I felt like is a huge priority in my life, which is finding a partner and trying to, in my normal life, kind of navigate those uh, those priorities. I didn't do very well. I was focused on work and business and, and things of that nature. So my biggest takeaway was when you are really wanting something in your life, you have to set aside the time to dedicate to it because we all say we want love and to find that, you know, happily ever after, if you will. But so much of our life is full of distractions and things that we have to get done and our relationships with family and friends that it really doesn't afford a whole lot of time unless you carve it out purposefully to finding your person. Do you, is there anyone like in your family or friends that um, are kind of like a model for you or something that, or someone that you like, like your family's relationships, like, is that something that you uh, value and like seek in um, a future partnership as well? 100%. I think in my life, a huge turning point for me Um, I talked a little bit about it on when I was on The Bachelor, but when my sister got sick, I found just this huge, huge takeaway from that experience was not only, you know, grief and all of those things, but watching my dad and how he interacted with my mom during that time and how her husband dealt with her, it took away just the desire to date someone who was, you know, the good looking guy at the gym to really wanting a partner in life because I had such strong male examples of what that looks like of when, excuse my language, but when shit hits the fan and things are just at their absolute worst, that not one of the men that I saw, my dad, her husband complained once. And it was immediately taking care and nurturing their partner, taking away any ego, Um, obviously experiencing their own feelings around it, but there was never a doubt of if those men were going to stand up for their partner and be there. And I realized in that moment watching that, that I had dated a lot of men who I would question if they would stick around in those very difficult times. It's easy when things are, you know, honeymoon phase and, and it's light and airy and it's candles and romance But when life hands you a really difficult card, you want a person that is without question going to show up for you. Because I know for myself, I would do the same, but I had not seen it so tangibly until I watched how they dealt with what was a horrific time in our family history. And I just can't applaud them enough. And and honestly, thank them enough for that lesson that came from such an awful experience but definitely taught me what to look for in the future when I'm entering relationships that's huge and I can relate to that because my mom recently passed away and um, no but I can relate to that grief and that that grief is so substantial and it's like a a level of trauma that like you don't even have words to describe. So the fact that you had men to be that example of like what union looks like, I mean, that's incredible. And like, I can imagine that that um, is like a standard that is like non-negotiable at this point for you. No, I mean, we talked about deal breakers early on in this episode, but I think that is the hugest part is, 
my takeaway from that experience is truthfully, you want a partner. Yes, it's nice to hear all these stereotypical, like I want a best friend and romance. And, you know, we watch the notebook and think that that's how life should be. But in reality, I want someone that even in the most difficult times of our life, I will never have to question if they're going to be by my side trying to navigate through those. And that is something that I have certainly set a standard for um, because I've seen that in the past and I'm not, you know, trying to inflate my own ego when I've said this, but in the past relationships I've had, I've been that partner and have very rarely gotten that in return when something in my life was a struggle. It, um, I didn't have that partner that would stand beside me through it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you've been vocal about um, difficult things that you've been through in past relationships. Um, Do you feel that um, it's been difficult to get into, to be present in like healthy relationships or are you healed from those past um, traumas? How does that play a role in in navigating those future relationships? You know, I wish that it didn't play as much of a role as it did. Um, I think we have this idea of, okay, it happened to you, get over it, move on. You don't. That is not something that you move on from. There's going to be things that trigger, I mean, just silly things that you would never have anticipated that trigger certain painful moments in your life. And especially when you've gone through an abusive relationship, like I've uh, shared, it is... It's something that I would like to believe isn't um, an obstacle in future dating relationships, but it absolutely is. There's times where maybe I'll get into an argument, which we all are going to argue in relationships, but maybe certain words or, or how it's delivered certainly bring me back. And that's something that isn't the responsibility of your partner because they didn't do anything wrong. You can't take, you know, all of your baggage and blame it on the next person. It's something that I will have to personally take accountability of, Hey, this is what happened to me in this moment. Even though you are not the one that did this to me, it's triggering something from my past. So either take a break and and come back to the situation um, or just the acknowledgement of like, hey, I'm struggling right now. And that's a really vulnerable place to put yourself in. But I think it's so important because, like I said, we have this idea that you just get over things and move on and, you know, be a boss girl, boss babe, whatever they say. But it, that's just not true. We all have gone through things in our lives and that have affected us and will continue to affect us in ways, like I said, that are unexpected. But it's just taking accountability for this is not that person's fault that I'm in a relationship with now. I need to own how I'm feeling in this moment and not make it about them. Wow. I needed to hear that because, and I'll share later on my story, but I feel like I'm in that right now. Um, Not, um, not being able to let go of past traumas and carry those into future relationships and be present in them. Um, so I, I'm excited to hear what, um, our expert has to say and what you have to say, and maybe I can get some guidance because I'm sucking at dating and this is the <laughs> spinoff of, um, what a girl wants. So, um, on a lighter note, what are some embarrassing moments you've had dating and um, maybe maybe that you did or that the guy did. Embarrassing moments. I mean, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I think I have to say probably, and, and this was not necessarily anything that I did, but trying to date after the show has been quite interesting, especially with men. Because I don't, you know, I'm not like, hi, I'm Elise. I'm from The Bachelor. Do you know me? Hi. That's not how I approach things, but um, I will never forget the first date I went on after the show, and I believe it was still airing at the time. I went out with a guy, cannot sing this guy's praises loud enough, but we wanted to keep it casual, and we took his dog to, I think it was a rugby match, which I'd never been to before, and he had no idea I was on the show, and all of a sudden, people come up and 
you know, oh my gosh, can we take a picture? And the look on this guy's face was like, who the heck am I on this date with? I'm just at, you know, a college rugby game. And it was very flattering that, you know, people wanted to do pictures and stuff, but because I hadn't been upfront about <laughs> being on a show, I learned very quickly that maybe you have to divulge that information because he stood there like, I just can't describe it. He was massively uncomfortable and so incredibly confused. So that has been one interesting thing that you have to navigate if you're ever on one of these shows of how to also be like, hey, um, it doesn't like define my life, but I was on a reality TV show and potentially people are going to think that we're in a relationship, talk about it online and uh, hope you're okay with that. <laughs> Have you had some guys that are like, heck no, I'm not doing this? Or has everyone just kind of been like, okay, I mean, whatever, it's fine. I think for most they've taken it in stride, but it's certainly bizarre. I'd never had any desire to be in the public eye as a makeup artist I'm very comfortable behind camera so for me it's been weird so I cannot imagine what it feels like to be on the other side of like hey we're just you know going out for a lunch date and why are these people coming up and and saying hello as if they know her and she doesn't have any clear idea of who these people are right. <laughs> and especially on a show like The Bachelor people have a a pretty clear understanding of of maybe their perception of who you are and your life history. So you almost become like friends that have never met. And so there's a, a bond there that it's, it's hard to explain that to someone who's maybe never watched the show or been through a similar experience. I think that's why so many bachelor people end up dating each other. Cause you don't have to have that awkward conversation of, Hey, if we go on a date, people might come up and chat with us and, and for them how to navigate that as well. Right, because you're you were both in it. You're both currently in it, so that seems a lot easier to um, navigate. Well, we clearly have no idea how to navigate this, and I'm still figuring it out. So we're gonna have after this break a man that I <laughs> he doesn't know this yet, but a man I have come to love, and he is a therapist, and maybe he can give us some pointers of how to have these difficult conversations and be better in relationships. At Walmart, there's a whole collection of black lead products that fit into your daily routine. We encourage you to show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month, but all year long. There is power in every purchase. Every time we purchase from a black lead brand, we make room for another black lead brand. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choices at Walmart. Some amazing Black-owned businesses that are available at Walmart include The Lip Bar, Zach and Zoe Honey, Partake Cookies. The list goes on and on. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing Black-owned products you can add to your daily routine. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes, and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. The pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Ashley adopted Lois, and I didn't know until I actually picked her up and saw her with my own eyes that we were taking this dog home. But I took one look at Lois, and my life has never been the same, and I love her so much, and I'm very grateful for that moment that Ashley decided to adopt Lois. So it really was love at first sight for me. Adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime of meaningful connections. A pedigree loyalty survey revealed that 95% of dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than expected. And another pedigree loyalty survey revealed 90% of first-time dog owners report that having a dog improved at least one relationship in their lives. We have adopted two dogs. First was Pappy and the second was Alistair. And I got to tell you, I didn't know I could love such a little creature so much. With Pappy, he just stole our hearts right away. He was so attached to us. And even with Alistair, we got him and we fostered at first and then decided to adopt not long after that. Just and a few days after. They bring so much light into our lives. After we lost Pappy, I was, Kaylin and I agreed to maybe take a couple months off from having a dog in our lives. And not even a week later, we, we couldn't stand it anymore. There's just so much light that coming home to 
a dog brings into our lives. And, and whenever we're on a trip, all we can ever think about is coming back home and seeing Alistair. So I, I love adoption. I think adopting dogs is the way to go. They are so grateful for it. They definitely love you harder because they know what you took them from and, and the great life that you're giving them. Real love can exist between pet and pet parent. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes, and we can attest that love at first sight is closer than you think. It's available at your local dog shelter. Find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive, June 7th to 9th, and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Visit pedigree.com adoption drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, guys, we are back with What a Girl Wants and have, uh, I'm fangirling a little bit because we have Dr. Kirkonda, who has an amazing podcast and YouTube channel that as someone that was on The Bachelorette, I found because he reacts to reality TV shows and as a therapist and professor uh, has a different perspective than most of the audience. So, Mr. Dr. Kirkonda, I'm so happy to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We talked a little bit earlier about navigating dating in your 30s, but something that really struck me when watching your videos was not so much the conversation around past traumas and how they affect your current relationships, although we can certainly talk about that as well, but I have referred a few of your videos to just a boatload of my friends, because you talk about when you're approaching difficult times in a relationship, how to navigate that from a place of, or approach it from a place of the baseline emotions of either fear or hurt, Mm -hmm. which is a very vulnerable and uncomfortable thing to do. And I just want to kind of pick your brain a little bit today and ask why approaching conflicts in a relationship from those baselines of either hurt or anger is so important to having a much better outcome when conflicts arise in a relationship. Sure. Well, the first thing I'll say is that no one is very good at this. I've never known anyone, including myself, who even when they study it for 25 years and preach it all day long, such as myself, I probably get it right, I don't know, 30% of the time. And well, good. Then I have a little grace in my failures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things. It, it's an instinct. Uh, of course, when we're afraid and when we're hurt, we're perhaps flooded, we're confused, we're protecting ourselves. It affects the way we think, our, our, the way we perceive things. And so I just want to say that up front. But the important thing that I think is, I think, rather intuitive when I put it this way to people, which is that we all evolved to connect with other people close to us. We have tremendous needs for attachment. All you have to do is look at other primates and see their behavior during the day at the zoo or on you know, a public television or documentary, David Attenborough, this, this sort of thing. There's a, a tremendous amount of togetherness that primates will exhibit, a soothing, grooming, communication, helping each other out, um, literally just uh, being next to each other. And we're the same. And it makes total sense when you think about our behavior and our needs and, and how important relationships are to us, particularly romantic relationships, that without those attachments and those attachment needs being met, then we have feelings and the feelings motivate us. And I feel like that's another important uh, point that it again makes a lot of intuitive sense when I explain it this way to me anyway which is that 
when we feel pain, you know, you put your hand on a hot plate and you feel pain, it's an emotion, it's hurt, and you pull your hand away from the hot plate because the, the feeling motivates you to do something. If you didn't have an emotion, you'd just let your hand burn. In the, right. same, in the same way that when you're trying to get your, your attachment needs met or you're in a romantic or you're dating, say, six months in, and the person doesn't text you back right away, it hurts your feelings. You feel hurt. And that's a motivation. It motivates you to do something. It's a natural response. The emotion is alerting you to the possibility that maybe this person is moving away from you. And maybe this person is finding someone else to be with, or maybe this right. person is displeased with you in some way. And, and so you start the, going into the what ifs. <laughs> well, that that's the result of the emotion. The emotion mm -hmm. is the beginning of it in the same way that pain from the hot plate, the, the emotion is is pain. It's a pain response and a worry response, a anxiety and a pain response. Then because we're advanced creatures, so to speak, we there's pros and cons to that, we end up trying to uh, figure out what to do with that emotion. And because we have so much societal pressures on us to seem quote unquote strong and above our mm -hmm. sort of primary emotions, we will either try to suppress that emotion or we will transform it into anger. That's usually the two different pathways. We'll either get angry and say, you are a neglectful person for not texting me back, or where were you today when you didn't text me back? Which is a transformation of the original pain into anger, which is not an accurate communication of how you felt about it. Or suppression, um, I'm being too needy. Uh, there's something wrong with me. You know, if I do be too pushy, he, he's going to push me away or something like that. Instead of just saying, so, you know, I don't know if this is my fault or your fault. Maybe it's my fault. But when I text you today and you didn't get back to me, I'm sure you're busy and I'm sure, you know, it's not a big deal. But I just want to let you know that it really, it, it sort of hurt on a scale from one to 10. It was like a three. It wasn't that much hurt, but it was a little bit of hurt. And instead of suppressing that or transforming that into anger or starting to have a lot of thoughts about like, what's going on with him? Is he cheating on mm -hmm. me? Um, I just thought I'd just tell you that it sort of hurt. Then it gives the other person to rise to the occasion. And now they can see, oh, they're not accusing me of anything. They're not pulling away. They're giving me a chance to rectify the situation. And you just be like, oh, one, uh, you know, I'm not really into texting during the day. Two, I didn't know that you were hurt by that. I don't want you to be hurt by that. So maybe I'll adjust my texting you know, procedure policy <laughs> such that I won't hurt you. Or, or maybe if you text me around this time, I'll get back to you. People care, you know, they, they want to help. Uh, it's an instinct that we all have when, when someone trips on the sidewalk and they're genuinely hurt, you know, 99% of humans run to that aid, or at least internally, you just, oh, you cringe and you, you want to help that person, particularly people that are close to us. And so when, if we can tell people those primary emotions, it gives the other person a chance to actually meet our needs. Do you think that, and I, I mean, I just can't tell you enough how many people I've sent this conversation and videos of yours to because it hit me so close to and resonated with me of, of how I've dealt with, with relationships in the past. Um, because I've come out of abusive relationships before, I feel like I often go into that submissive where I don't tell people how I feel right away. I unfortunately just kind of let it linger and then it becomes like my own resentments that they're probably not even aware of or how to change. But when you go into a conflict in a relationship and you talk from a place of this hurt me or this I'm angry and here's why, do you find that it also helps the other person not be defensive so that the conversation doesn't escalate? We've all had, right. We've all had arguments where you're like, what are we even arguing about? And I think a lot of that comes from when you approach things with anger or like myself, sometimes build a little bit of resentment because you're not voicing those emotions, that it puts them on the defense. So putting immediately those emotions of I'm hurt and I'm going to take ownership over that, but here's why I'm hurt and how you could maybe do something to make me feel better. It, it takes away the need for things to escalate. Do you find that? Yes. Uh, it's nuanced though, because 
even when you're doing things perfectly, and I, as a therapist, I help a lot of people do this, both in couples therapy and individual therapy. And even when you do everything perfect, the person receives, so, you know, going back to our example, uh, the woman says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not blaming you. Uh, it's not your fault. I have traumas in my past. So, you know, if you, you could really help me out by sort of validating my feelings here, or just understanding, you don't have to adjust your behavior, but I just want you to know that when I texted you today and you didn't get back to me right away, it threw me into a panic and it kind of hurt my feelings and it's not your fault. <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally on me. I own those mm -hmm. feelings. Um, so you could, you could do it that way. And given his traumas, he could, he could become defensive regardless because he has been accused of being withdrawing or neglecting or a bad boyfriend before. Right. And, and he uh, just projects that onto the situation, even though it's not really applicable. And so this is, that's why couples therapy is so important because when I'm talking to individual clients about what to do, sometimes they do everything perfect. They go home and the other person it doesn't know what's happening because it seems so weird. You know, it's like, well, right. surely behind that veil of niceness is accusation and anger and hostility. So, so that's why couples therapy is so important because then I can actually go to the guy and say like, okay, wait a second. Uh, you seem to be reacting against something, you know, what's going on? What, what did you hear her say? And he'll be like, well, she's angry at me. And I'll be like, well, let's go back. Let's listen to what she said. Uh, and so that you can help him to really hear. And, it, you know, it's a brand new way of thinking. Uh, it, you know, when I discovered it years ago, it just completely transformed my life. And I guess I dipped into it randomly at, at times. But once I understood attachment and I really appreciated just how attachment oriented we are and how really on a minute by minute basis, we're having these little hurts and little fears. Right. And uh, it, it really just helped me to understand that it's so important to, to, to do this, but it makes sense that most people just don't know what's happening. And it, it, it takes some education and some experience and trial and error to to really figure it out. Well, especially like you said earlier, we're kind of trained in our society to think, you know, buck up, get over it, you know, let it go, you move on when you do go through those hurts. So it's hard to then uh, try to separate what you're being taught is, you know, get over it, move on. And hey, I'm not going to get over this experience. It hurt me deeply. But how to make sure that it's not something that turns into a problem in future relationships when the part you know, maybe you have a really great partner and they're not the one that is causing that pain it's from somewhere else so that has been a real battle for me of um, as I go into relationships trying to to not be so reactive <laughs> to something that they didn't that they didn't uh, know that they did yeah the, uh, and I want to rephrase that. Uh, the reactiveness is is normal. We can't change our primary emotions of fear and of hurt. We can't change that. It's just going to happen the same way I can't change how much it hurts when I have my hand on a hot plate. It's going to hurt. And that, that reactivity is going to be there. It's what we do with it. And it, it's easier said than done. Uh, in my work with people, sometimes often we bump up against relational traumas that they have in their past that cause them to be in the moment at the very least, very distrustful of the other person that the other person actually does care. Cause you have to trust the other person. If you're going right. to say you hurt my feelings, you have to trust that the other person is, is to be that vulnerable. You have to be like almost a hundred percent sure that that person is going to respond well, that they're going to hold your feelings, that they're going to hear you. They're going to care going to communicate they care they're not going to reject you because it it's a double hurt to be vulnerable about something you were hurt about oh, and then to, be, then to be rejected on that level well we have on the line miss becky who is a producer from this show and i don't know her story 
but we want to chat with her a little bit and maybe you can give some insight onto what she is navigating in her current dating situation. Okay. Uh, before we go into this, I just, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to do this, but uh, I can't provide any professional advice over podcasting. So uh, I'll be wording it. You can ask whatever you want to, that's totally fine, but I'll be wording it in a way that will be ethical to my um, license. Well, 100%. We're not anticipating that you're giving a therapy session, but maybe we'll just hear her side and, and maybe I can relate to it. She's touched on, maybe she's gone through similar experiences as me and you can give us some pointers on how to, to navigate it. Sure. So um, Dean and Jared, of uh, the hosts of the Help I Suck at Dating podcast, they recently had me on for an interview and long story short, there was a guy that heard my interview. Um, he reached out to me and we have been talking for coming up on two months now. And he lives in Michigan. I live in Los Angeles. And uh, he actually flew in to meet me this weekend. Um, and he is an incredible man. Like he is definitely uh, different than anyone I've ever dated. I've come out of very abusive and toxic relationships. Um, and I've just overall have never really had a good relationship with men um, from just several traumas um, throughout my life. And I found myself dating the same kinds of guys, the same type um, prior to this guy. And um, he has just been, uh, I've been very, we've been very vulnerable with each other, which has been very difficult for me. Um, and I am really struggling to be present in um, allowing him to pursue me and be there for me. And uh, this weekend while he was here, there were a lot of actual like tears, like really difficult moments um, where I've just been feeling like um, unworthy and unqualified of love and accepting um someone who uh, is so patient, is so kind, and is so open to listening um, to everything that I've been through and just wanting to be there. How have you, Dr. Kirk, like, how do you encourage, um, you know, your clients and people that you talk to, to not come up from a place of fear again and a place of just um, pain and trauma and lead with love and be present in those moments? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I applaud you for your vulnerability. You're modeling for a lot of listeners how to acknowledge your own issues. Everyone has issues, at least in one shape, way, shape, or form. And so, you know, kudos to you for having the strength and breaking the mold of the American individualism and, and quote, <laughs> quote unquote strength. Um, so uh, again, I, I don't know you particularly, but uh, the uh, thing that I think about is what I sometimes will talk about a schema therapy. And this, uh, the research looked into how people see the world in ways that get in their way and how the way they see the world was developed when they were young. And, and, and there are 18 different uh, schemas or ways of seeing the world that are uh, unhelpful to their needs. And one of the ways that are developed early in life is this schema of I'm not worthy of love that uh, was developed because one was treated that way at a young age, one, two, three, four, five years old, you're treated in a way that indicates that you're not worthy of love. You're not getting enough love or inattention. And it might even be explicitly told to some kids, the reason why I'm not hanging out with you is because you're a bad girl or something, whatever the message is. It could be explicit or implicit. And oftentimes kids will just come to these conclusions in a very understandable but tragic way. 
And then we just retain that way of seeing the world as, as we get older. And it is an assumption that is deep. It's not just a cognitive idea. As you talk about it, you reflect on that assumption and you seem to be questioning it. You seem to be like, I, I don't know why I see it this way, but I, it's deep in my, in my soul. And the idea is I always sort of try to, there's, a, there's literally 400 plus theories of psychotherapy. And so I try to melt all of it down to two ideas, which is one awareness and two healing. So one is awareness and just building that awareness for people that suffer from this schema is just becoming aware of the whole thing, becoming aware of the schema, becoming aware of when you're in this situation and you're receiving love and you're starting to have both positive feelings and negative feelings, you look at your feelings, you try to figure out like, which, which is rational here, you know, similar to you really want to go bungee jumping and you get to the edge of before you jump and you have a tremendous amount of fear. Well, that's kind of the point, right? And your body doesn't want to jump off, but your mind is saying, everything's fine. You know, I've, yeah. everything's going to be okay. Uh, but your body is like, no, no, no. <laughs> so, so evaluating the emotion, whereas if you didn't have a bungee cord tied to your feet and you were standing on the edge of a cliff, the fear would be rational. And so you have to have the ability to look at your feelings and, and say, which is rational here and which is helpful. And that takes a lot of time, you know, it takes a lot of investigation, but that can only go so far because our emotions can be really overwhelming at times. Uh, the, the next part is more the long-term goal, which is to heal from our relational traumas. So for people with schemas that indicate that they're not worthy of love, they have to experience love and attachment in a way that indicates that they are worthy of love and that people can be trusted. And that can only be done through experiences. You have to do it over and over again. The analogy to the bungee jumping, I guess, is that the only way to be able to jump uh, a bungee jump without any fear is to do it, you know, dozens of times. Just me thinking about bungee jumping makes my hands sweat, by the way. <laughs> um, so I would need to bungee jump, I don't know how many times before I would just be able to do it and not have fear as I did it. So, so my cognitive understanding of the rationality of the fear only goes so far um, I just have to, through repetition, have to uh, get my body to habituate to the uh, scary situation such that my body learns this is okay, you can trust it. And so you need to, people need to engineer as many secure relationships as they can. And if it's, it's hard when you have these worries that are alerting you of just like danger, danger, danger. And this is where therapy comes in. Therapy is, you know, therapists know or they should know what to do in these situations such that the therapist client relationship becomes a very secure relationship for that person. And then as the person experiences that relationship and says, oh, I guess I can trust other people, then and that's a much more safe environment, right, because the, it's a professional and, and they know what they're doing and it's not very threatening to the therapist to engage in. In a relationship with a client. And then that uh, learning in your body can be translated to relationships outside of the therapy office. I don't know if that answers your question. Does it no, answer? it does. It does. Absolutely. And I think that I um, am struggling being the gatekeeper of my mind and the what ifs are flooding in and um, I feeling very out of control. Are there any like, um, coping mechanisms that you share with clients to uh, kind of reel it back in and um, feel kind of pause in that yes. moment. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, getting back to what I was talking about before is to value your emotional reactivity. It's, mm -hmm. there's this notion of whenever I hear the word coping, I, I don't know what you're exactly asking, but a lot of people mean, how do I get rid of these feelings? And that's not possible. So, and it's a notion that is given to us by society that is possible that, you know, strong, mature people 
have total control over their emotions. They can get rid of them. And it's like, no, you can't. In the same way I can't get rid of my pain as I'm holding my hand on a hot plate. I can't, I'm a, I'm an animal. <laughs> I'm not a robot. I can't delete the file. It just happens. I have a physical, emotional reactivity. And to deny that is like extremely self-destructive. And so many people do that, particularly men, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> so, so, cause we're taught to, um, right. it's the only way to be a man in a lot of ways, but or just anger. Anyway, point is, is that uh, value your emotions. So you're having fear. You have tremendous fear. Okay. Now to transform that into, I'm going to push him away or thus he is not trustworthy or I need to run or I need to drink or I need to smoke pot or I, whatever it is, that's, that's the attempt to get rid of the emotion. To just live in the emotion of just like, by the way, right now, I am terrified. I don't know what to do with that, but I am I am utterly mortified and terrified of what's happening right now. And I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> can 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 people listen to me? Can you yeah. listen to me? Can 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 everyone help me with my fear? And then, you know, people come to you and help you and listen to you. And then you're still afraid, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be transformed into some other uh, thing like anger or pushing away, or there's something wrong with me. Um, the, these kinds of things are results of shame upon our own fears. It's uh, you're, I don't know. It sounded like you just started dating this guy. You should be afraid. Who knows who, what this guy is? Like? <laughs> I mean that, you know, uh, people often say this, like, how do I trust, you know, to, to date. And I'm like, why would you trust people you're dating? You don't know. This person could be the next serial killer. You really just don't know. I'm not saying be paranoid and assume, but just it, it, it live in that fear. It's okay. And it's normal. It indicates that your body knows that you're in a dangerous situation because you are, and that's, and just be okay with that in the same way that you're standing on the edge with, you know, a bungee cord tight and you're just like I'm afraid it's okay you know if you weren't afraid there'd be something wrong with you so uh, get support talk about it tell the partner have them do what they can it's not going to take it away that's all right it's okay to be afraid I think um, my takeaway from what you said was these metaphors of bungee jumping and the hot plates are so relatable because these are things that you just learn with time and Becky and I are coming from totally different standpoints of me being 33 she's 23 and I just want to validate that it is amazing that you're being so vulnerable but also that um, from someone that's a little bit older and has gone through similar experiences as you that it really it's really amazing when you open yourself up to the opportunity of letting people show up for you and like he said, with that bungee cord, it's a little less scary the next time you jump when you've had people that might not have been your forever partner, but just choose to show up when, when they can. And it just takes time. And I, oh, I'm just so happy that you came on today, Mr. Dr. Kirkonda, Psychology in Seattle. I hope everyone watches your videos. I hope you continue to cover this season of The Bachelorette because, uh, I'll give you a little insider scoop. It's going to be a good one. Okay. You might, you might have a lot to unpack for everyone, but I just thank you for taking the time out of your day to help us navigate our dating woes and give us some uh, perspective on things. Sure. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks. All right. Well, we talked with Dr. Kirk Honda and I think he gave us some, ooh, some pretty heavy things to think about. Um, what I really love from his podcast is how much he talks about how important therapy is. And I've shared in my past relationship struggles that I've gone through. And today you're talking about a current struggle you're going through that is, again, not reflective of the person that you're with. He sounds amazing, but struggles that you carry on from previous interactions, whether romantic or not. And I just am so thankful he was on, but also I think we can all take away from his talking that we don't have to have this idea. We have to get over things, quote unquote, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say, 
all right, I am not dealing with this well, whether you can't have a conversation like he talked about from the baseline of these are my emotions and you're in a position where you don't feel that you're safe enough to be vulnerable with whoever you're talking to um, and come from a place of just the pure emotion and taking ownership of that is so incredibly difficult. But I think it's something that we all could benefit from Um, instead of just being reacting, taking a pause and, and trying to figure out where that reaction is coming from. So I'm so thankful he came on. I think it ties back into even having those que- uh, questions answered about how to navigate talking about deal breakers and kids and all these things and divorce and, and dating in your 30s and these conversations that what I took away from his conversation was that we need to just allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough. And if that person doesn't respond to the questions in the way we want, that that's okay. At least you got the information that you needed and you allowed yourself to be vulnerable. And like he said, the next time you jump off the bungee cord, it will be a little bit easier. And I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm taking a lot away um, from our conversation today and maybe how to interact in future relationships, how to approach subjects that aren't easy. And I think the biggest takeaway is that it is just okay to be vulnerable and sit in your emotions and allow someone to show up for you. Thank you so much for coming on this week, Elise. I think this was so informational. It gave me so much perspective. Um, someone who, um, from someone who has gone through things that I've gone through, and I know that listeners will be able to relate to a lot of things that were discussed and. Um, and gain some wisdom from this and maybe um, realize what a girl really wants and needs from this podcast. I certainly hope so. I cannot thank Dean and Jared enough for letting me take over and for you allowing me to kind of share and give my insight on your story, but also open up on my own story. And I mean, hell, we all suck at dating, right? But at least we now know how to maybe approach it with um, a little patience and, and grace with ourselves. It's time to celebrate Black History Month at the Walmart Black and Unlimited Clock. On Thursday, February 29th from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., you can celebrate an extra day of Black History Month with Walmart. This event is free and open to the public at two locations, Flatiron Plaza in New York City and Ovation Hollywood in Los Angeles. With giveaways dropping every hour on the hour, it's the perfect time to try, like, and share Black-led products. It's free, it's for everyone, and it's your chance to see how you can level up your daily routine with Black-led products that are creating a new world of choices at Walmart. Trust, you don't want to miss it. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico, but it's more than a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Let the Boricua spirit welcome you with a warm embrace to start each day and remind you why you travel in the first place. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. With nearly 300 beaches and 300 miles of coastline, there's always new places to explore. The island's diverse geography offers everything from secluded coves with white sand and crystalline water to stunning black sand beaches. There are spots that are perfect for water sports. You can surf, snorkel, paddleboard, or go diving. To travel to Puerto Rico, there is no passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 